John chapter 15. Let me uh, express my appreciation for the opportunity of being here. Uh, thank you, Brother Mason, for the invitation. And thank you, dear people, for being so friendly and kind. Uh, my host, uh, where I'm staying, th they left once I got here. No, really, they were gone before I got here, okay? <laughs> Uh, and I'm not even sure whose house I'm in, Doc, but uh, it, it is a beautiful apartment. Uh, not apartment, it's a house, two-bedroom home. And I think it's, uh, it's in an area where only seniors can be there, so I was a little bit afraid they wouldn't let me be there, okay? But uh, I think it is a senior residence and so forth. But it's a beautiful place, and uh, I certainly enjoyed the missionaries. I always enjoy missionaries. And... Uh, I've enjoyed the fellowship with the pastor, his wife, his family, and uh, so many of you dear people and so forth. We've just had a, a wonderful, wonderful time. In John chapter 15, beginning with verse 9, uh, and the whole chapter, I, I wish I could just uh, preach on John chapter 15 for a long, long time tonight, but uh, you don't listen that long, okay? But uh, uh, beginning with verse 9, he makes this statement, okay? And, and remember now, the, the whole John chapter 15 is the, about the, the uh, vine and the branches. The vine and the branches, okay? And uh, in verse 9, he says, As uh, the Father hath loved me, even so I have loved you. Continue you in my love. Now, I want you to notice the correlation between the keeping of the commandments of God and the joy of the Lord, okay? If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you. Now, here Jesus is saying to his disciples, uh, this is something I want you to have. I don't want you to miss this, okay? He says, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you. You see what he's saying? That my joy might remain in you. Uh, I want you and you and you and you to have the kind of joy that I have. And then he says, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another even as I have loved you. And so there is a correlation between keeping the commandments of the Lord and having the joy of the Lord. Now, I cannot preach on John chapter 15. I cannot read it without emphasizing verse 5. It has nothing to do with the sermon tonight, and I may get all messed up and not even know where I'm at in the sermon, okay? But, but we have to, have to do it, okay? Uh, Jesus is on his way to Gethsemane with his disciples, and he comes to a vineyard, and, and he gives them this uh, wonderful dissertation about the vine and the branches. Now, look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And then the simple statement of Jesus, without me, you can do nothing. I mean, you take the branch away from the vine, 
and it can do absolutely nothing. You know what that says? In the work of God, we are totally dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, many of us have been in places where we realize that. If God doesn't do it, it's not going to get done, okay? But in reality, when you read this, we are totally dependent on him. But what I want us to think about tonight is the, the simple subject of the joy of missions. The joy of missions. And uh, uh, God, God wants us to have joy. And if we're not careful, sometimes we will get so busy, so involved in doing the work of God that we lose what God wants us to have, and that is joy. I'll give you a good illustration about myself, okay? Uh, when I was 31 years old, we went to Japan as missionaries. We got there in February. We, we, uh, we uh, uh, went to language school immediately. We got immediately involved in language school. Uh, middle of June, our Japanese teacher said, now, now we're going to take a five-week vacation. I said, we don't want any vacation. We don't have any money. We can't go anywhere. Uh, we don't want a vacation, you know. But she said, I need a vacation, okay? Uh, so, so she's, you know, okay, we're not going to study. And we're not going to study for five weeks. And, uh, I mean, you know, uh, here, here I am. I, I can do absolutely nothing. If I go out and pass out a gospel track and I say, dozo yonde kurasai, and uh, then they'd start talking, and I'd have no idea what they were saying. Uh, so, I, so I couldn't work. Uh, we didn't have any money. Uh, in Japan, it's very hot in the summertime, hot and humid. Uh, we don't carry handkerchiefs to wipe sweat. We carry towels. I mean, it's that hot. It's like uh, walking in a, in a steam bath, okay? And uh, uh, we didn't have a fan. We didn't have air conditioning. And uh, it, we, we had practically nothing. And I, I got so frustrated, and I lost all the joy I ever had. I mean, I, I just, just lost it, okay? And one day I looked up on the shelf of some books that I'd taken to Japan. I did not take, and that was a mistake. I did not take many of my books to Japan. I did the second time. And I saw a book up there, and the title of it was How to Win Over Word. And I remember buying that book at a convention in Madisonville, Kentucky, Amer uh, Kentucky Baptist Convention, and, uh, but I never read it. It was written by John Edmund Haggai, who was the uh, pastor of the Ninth and Old Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And I got that book down, and I began to read it. And it was uh, Philippians chapter 2. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, uh, chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so Haggai begins to say, you know, uh, we ought to rejoice about everything. We ought not to worry about anything. We ought to be thankful and give God praise for everything. And the longer I read that book, the more frustrated I got. And all I could think about was John Edmund Haggai pastors the largest Baptist church in Kentucky. He has a big salary. He don't have to learn Japanese. If I was in his place, I could write a book like this. You know what I mean? I mean, I just, I mean, I was on him big time, okay? 
And uh, finally, I got to the 13th chapter in that book. And in the 13th chapter, he told about a child that was born to he and his wife. And uh, the doctor was drinking heavily when he, re, re, uh, gave, uh, when he helped the lady in, in a childbirth. And he put too much pressure on the baby's head. And the baby, at that time, was 16 years old. But he could not do anything for himself. Either Haggai or his wife, one, had to do everything for him. And all of a sudden, I thought, he does know what he's talking about. And by the way, even if he didn't, the one who wrote Philippians 4 knew what he was talking about. He did not write Philippians 4 from a holiday inn. He wrote Philippians 4 from a Roman prison. And he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And uh, I believe from the depth of my heart that the devil would like to steal our joy from us. And if he does, he will make us ineffective Christians. I believe the best advertisement for biblical Christianity is joyful Christians. But I want you to notice the correlation between keeping the commandments of God and having the joy of the Lord. Uh, how many of you would agree with me tonight that the Great Commission is a commandment? Amen? Lift your hand if you believe that, okay? All right, good. I, I just wanted to see if you were awake, okay? Uh, you got your Sunday nap, but don't nap while I'm preaching, okay? So the world evangelization is a command of God. I mention it time after time. I'm sure I mentioned it this morning. It's not a suggestion. It's not a request. It is a mandate. And God has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I want you to notice, when that happens, it causes great joy. When we give, like you have this morning, and you will tonight, some of you, and uh, you pray for the missionaries, and uh, you send missionaries from your church, and when the missionaries obey and they go to where God has called them to go, when that begins to happen, then there is going to be great joy. Number one, there's going to be great joy on the recipients of the gospel. When these missionaries go to the Congo or to Hungary or to, uh, or to, to Japan or, or to the... Uh, uh, San Francisco area, the Bay Area, and so forth. Uh, they are obeying God. When you send them, you are obeying God. And by the way, it is going to cause great joy. Because when they go and they preach the gospel, and they're faithful, some people are going to get saved. You say, how do you know that, Brother Sid? It is a guarantee. It's in the Bible. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And when they go, you send them, you give, you pray, you send them, then some people are going to get saved. I've had the opportunity to preach in 80 different countries around the world. 
Every one of those countries has been related to some missionary so far. And uh, I, I've never been to any mission field anywhere where about somebody hadn't been saved. Uh, now, sometimes many people got saved. Sometimes only a few. But thank God. And by the way, when they get saved, it causes great joy. Uh, some of the first missionaries that went out from our mission, Baptist International Missions Incorporated, uh, went to Nicaragua. And uh, Bob Dayton and uh, Frank, Dr. Frank Rosser, and they labored there, and, and God did some unbelievably great work, and they published a little book about the ministry there. Uh, in, in the book, they told about a witch doctor, and it had the witch doctor's picture in there. And I looked at that witch doctor's picture, and honestly, I think it is the ugliest person I've ever seen. And I'm sort of an expert on ugliness. I shave every day, okay? But he was horrible looking. But guess what? That old witch doctor got saved. And there was another picture of the witch doctor. Now, even in this picture, he's not handsome, okay? But his countenance is so different that you just know that he has the joy of the Lord. In other words, he has heard the gospel. He has been saved by the grace of God, and it has caused great joy. I'll never forget the first time I uh, went to the Philippines. There was a uh, hurricane. Well, it's a uh, typhoon over there. It's a hurricane here. But... Uh, I had to stay in a hotel for a couple of days. Couldn't get to where I was going. And finally, I found one of those boys that, that does the bicycle, bicycle thing, and, and he took me to the place where I was going. And uh, when we got close to the place, he looked out, and he saw a man standing in front of the Bible school there. And he said, uh, Mr. Sis, you know that man standing there? I said, I don't know anybody here except uh, Brother Gabino Tick. I don't know anybody else. And he said, that's one of the most famous movie stars in the Philippines. And he got up there. And, and he was all excited about meeting him, getting his autograph and so forth. And he said to him, uh, Mr. Andauer, his name was Vic Andauer, uh, this is Don Sis. And he said to me, this is one of the most famous movie stars in the Philippines. And Vic Andauer looked at him and said, uh, no, I'm not a movie star anymore. He said, I got saved. I'm starting to be a preacher. And he had the joy of the Lord. I mean, he was such a happy man. Uh, he had left the, the movie business and had been saved by the grace of God. Uh, in, in Japan, the first service we had, we had 11 people saved. One of them was a uh, junior high school student. Her, her name was uh, Michiko Yamashita. And uh, I think she was in the eighth grade, ninth grade, something like that. Anyway, uh, we began to visit the homes of all of those that got saved, and we had some discipleship lessons that we would give them, and then we would go back the next week, and and work with them through the, the lessons and so forth. And uh, I found out that her dad was a Shinto priest. And uh, he was the tendicule form of Shintoism. I mean, I had three strikes against me. The tendicule form of Shintoism, they hated Christianity, they hated Americans, and they hated America. Okay. But uh, I was... Standing there at the doorway one time, talking to Michiko, Brother Kate, and myself. And Mr. Yamashiro came in. And uh, uh, I, I got in right in the middle of the doorway so he couldn't get past me. I wanted to meet him. I wanted to talk to him. And uh, 
He, he was a real short fellow. By the way, first time I went to Japan, I mean, I was so frustrated. I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never been to another foreign country. I'd never gone through customs or anything like that. And, and I, I mean, it, it was scary. But I looked around, and I was the tallest man there. Now, this first time I've ever been to a bunch, bunch of men, I was the tallest man there, okay? But Mr. Yamashita, he was really short. I got in the door, and then, anyway, I would talk to him. And uh, every once in a while, I'd, I'd get to get, catch him, so I'd get to talk with him a little bit. And, and one day, uh, I said, uh, Mr. Yamashita, uh, I've got a message on a tape recorder. And, and I'd like to bring this by here and, and let you and your wife and Michiko and myself and Keita listen to this message. And, uh, and you know, it is, this is a miracle of God. But he allowed me to do it. And it was Honda Sensei, a Japanese evangelist. And uh, he had a message on there about the uh, Jesus, the light of the world. And all the Japanese preach about an hour, okay? And uh, it just went on and on. And uh, you, you could, it, it, Mr. Yamashita was acting like he was sleeping and wouldn't listen to anything and so forth. But they listened to that message and we had a good time together that night. And about three weeks later, Mr. and Ms. Yamashito came to church one Sunday morning. That was such a joy to me. And they came four or five Sunday mornings. And uh, then one Sunday morning, after I preached, they walked down the aisle, and he said to me, Teacher, we'll take your Jesus as our Savior. That's a great thing, amen. And uh, I, I tell you, uh, he became one of the most joyful Christians I have ever met in my life. I mean, he smiled all the time, and he every time you met him, he told about some prayer God had answered, somebody he was witnessing to, and so forth. He's one of the happiest men I've ever met in my whole life. When he was 92 years old, he died of a heart attack walking to church. The joy. When we obey the commands of the Lord, it is going to bring great joy to the recipients of the gospel. And I could tell you literally thousands of stories of that nature. But I want you to notice something else. Uh, turn back a few pages to the, to the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke chapter 15, uh, let's, let's read just a few verses there, okay? Luke chapter 15. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Now, that was a derogatory mark, remark on their part. But every time I read this, I say, thank God he does receive sinners. Amen. If he had not, none of us would have been saved. And then it says he spake up this parable unto them. And he tells them three stories. Uh, he tells about a man that had a hundred sheep. One night he counted them, there was only 99. He leaves the 99 in the wilderness, and he goes after that one lost sheep. And when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulder, brings it back home, calls all of his friends together, and says, rejoice with me. And look at verse 7. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Think about that. There will be joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. 
Now, now we get all upset, or we get all happy and joyful about uh, all kind of things. You know, wow, somebody bought me a new suit. I am so happy. I'm so joyful. Uh, some young girl, oh, he asked me to go out on a date with him. I am joyful. I am full of joy. And uh, uh, I don't think that affects heaven much. If, if our favorite team wins a game, and uh, Brother Mason and I yesterday, we, we could not rejoice, okay? But uh, uh, when, when they do, uh, we rejoice. Oh, that's great, my team won. And I've often thought, some team wins a World Series, some golfer wins a big championship, uh, some football team wins the uh, Super Bowl and so forth. Heaven don't get excited at all about that. I mean, it doesn't make any joy whatsoever in heaven. But you think about this. When one sinner anywhere in the world trusts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it causes great joy in heaven. Think about it. When we are giving, when we are praying, when we are going, uh, when we are soul winning, when we are passing out Bibles and giving out gospel tracts and on and on and on, and somebody gets saved, it causes heaven to rejoice. Then he went on to tell about a woman that had 10 pieces of silver and she lost one of them. Swept the house, looked everywhere she could till she found that one piece of silver. And when she did, she called all of her neighbors in and they rejoiced. Tells a story about a man that had two sons. One of them did everything right, the other did everything wrong. Okay. Uh, the one just said, Hey, Dad, I don't know how long you're going to live. You're probably going to live too long, so just give me my inheritance now. And, and, and he went away, wasted his living, righteous living. But one day, thank God, he came to himself. Feeding pigs. You know, Jewish men feeding pigs. And he came to himself. He said, I'm going back home. Uh, all the people in my father's house, they have plenty. And here I am, have nothing to eat. I'm going back home. And I'm, I'm going to say to my dad, Dad, now, I'm not worthy to be your son. Uh, I, I just want to be your servant from now on. Uh, so, so he takes back home. And uh, when his dad saw him coming, and this is so unusual for a Jewish man, okay? But he runs to meet him. And he puts a robe on his back. He puts a ring on his finger. And he puts shoes on his feet. And, and he says to his servant, go kill the fatted calf. My son was dead. He's alive. He was lost. He's found. Hey, by the way, that caused great joy. Amen. So there is not only joy on the part of the recipients of the gospel, but there is great joy on the part of heaven. Heaven rejoices when somebody gets saved. Thank God for every one of you that's made your faith promise commitment. Thank God for every one of you that are involved in trying to win people right here where you are. Thank God for every one of you that are praying. By the way, you can do more after you pray, but you cannot do more than pray before you pray than to pray. And uh, by the way, the, these missionaries do, do not give out prayer cards because they think they're pretty and they won't, won't you see their picture. 
Now, a few of them are, but most of them aren't, okay? Uh, but but they, they give you the prayer cards because, they, and I, I've often saw, and started calling them prayer cards, we already call it prayer reminders because those cards can't pray, amen? But oh, how they need somebody to pray for them. My mother died while I was on the mission field. And I came back just a few days before she died for the funeral and so forth. I got back to Japan, and by, by that time, I had raised more support. I'd been there for three and a half years. We had a church started, had workers and so forth. And, uh, uh, I, you know, I just had so many more things going than we did before we, when we went for the first time. But I got back, and I began to do the same things I'd always done. But, but I felt there's just something lacking. Something is missing. And one day I was sitting in my office thinking and praying, searching my heart, dear Lord, is there something wrong? And all of a sudden I realized I had lost my best prayer warrior. And I remember writing a letter and saying, in this prayer letter, I want to ask you to do just one thing. I want somebody to take my mother's place as my prayer warrior. And I've met people even as recent as a couple years ago who said, Don, when we got that letter, we have prayed for you every day since then. Could, could I urge you? Take those prayer cards. Look at them on a regular basis and pray for them individually. Pray that they can adjust to the culture where they're going. That's a big prayer request. Pray that they can learn the language I never will forget the first time I saw a Japanese Bible. Uh, Richard Griffin bought me the Bible. He said, I was out on my insurance debit today, and a woman said, uh, well, I've got a Japanese Bible. And you, you he was telling them about uh, the fact that I was going to Japan as a missionary. And she said, I don't even know where we got this or why we got it. Uh, why don't you take it to that man? Give him this Japanese Bible. I'd never seen a Japanese Bible. I looked at that Bible. There was nothing in there that looked like a word. It looked like the chickens had been out on a muddy field and had walked all over paper and they'd put all those papers together. Really, it would have made it just as much sense. There was nothing in there. And Brother Mason and I looked at that, and all I could think of is, Lord, I'm from Kentucky. We have a hard time with English. And you expect me to learn a language like that. And I, I tell you, when I went to Japan, that was my greatest fear that I had. I wasn't fearful of starving to death. Uh, I'd pastored in Kentucky. I knew God would feed me, okay? So I wasn't worried about leaving all my wealth. We didn't have anything when we left, just a household furniture, and we sold all of it. But to think I had to learn Japanese. We entered Japanese language course. About six weeks into that course, all of a sudden, one day, I realized that all of my fears were justified. It was just as difficult as I dreamed it would be. Huh? Pray that they can learn the language. In order to be effective on the mission field, they have to learn the language of their people. Pray for their finances, that it will remain steady and so forth. So pray for your missionaries. When you're giving, when you're praying, when you're witnessing, you're obeying the command of God to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature.
So there's great joy on the part of the recipients of the gospel. There is great joy in heaven. Let me mention one other place. There is great joy on the part of the people that participate. I mean, what can be more joyful than obeying God and seeing God use what you have done to bring other people to Jesus Christ? Let me show you just one passage in closing this evening. Look over in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And uh, begin with verse 15. And, and, and really, when you read the book of Philippians, uh, just think about this as a prayer letter, and he is writing the church at Philippi, and he is thanking them for the money they've sent to him. And in verse, verse 15, he says this, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no man communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Now look at this. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. In other words, Paul is saying, when I left Macedonia, none of the other churches, they, they did not help me anywhere at all. But you sent once and again, in other words, regularly, systematically, to help me with my needs. Notice what he says now in verse 17. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. By the way, when they go to Hungary, when they go to Japan, when they go to the Bay Area, uh, when they go to the Republic of Congo, and they preach the gospel, and somebody gets saved. That's put on your account. And uh, uh, you can read that prayer letter, and you can thank God for that. But better than that, one day in heaven, you'll meet those people. And that'll cause great joy. I want you to have the kind of joy I've got, Jesus said. And I want your joy to be full. So, so don't get so frustrated, don't get so involved, uh, don't, don't get so busy that you lose the joy of the Lord. Let me give you one story and I close. You say you've already closed once, okay? So let me do it one more time, okay? The Yamashitas I told you about that got saved. Uh, we burned their idols. That's a wonderful service. And... Uh, about six weeks after they got saved, Mrs. Yamashita came to me after service one day, and she said, uh, Teacher, my dad is coming to visit me. His name is Mr. Kitanaka. My dad is coming to visit me. Uh, he's 76 years old. As far as I know, he's never heard the gospel. And he, she said, uh, I, I wonder if you would come and tell my dad about Jesus Christ. And I like what she said after that. She said, teacher, I believe if you'll come and tell him that he'll get saved. So I said, okay, when, when's your dad coming? She said, he's coming on Monday or Tuesday, right? I said, okay, Kate and I will come over there on, on uh, Thursday night, and uh, we'll visit with you. So we went over there on Thursday night and uh, climbed up those steps of that big apartment building, and they had one small apartment in the big building. And we sat around there, and uh, we uh, uh, ate oranges, and we... Uh, 
drank green tea and we talked about everything in the world in Japan, uh, you'll eventually get to the subject you want to, but you've got to go around the world to do it, okay? I mean, you don't do anything direct there. We did, we did that, and we, we were having a good time. And he was 76 years old, and uh, I, I looked at him, and I thought, man, he's ancient, 76 years old. Uh, I was 32 years old, so everybody was ancient, older than me. Uh, now I realize he was just in the prime of life, amen. But I said to him, I said, uh, Mr. Kitanaka, and I, be, I began to tell him about Jesus. And by the way, from the time I started telling him about Jesus, he sat there and listened like a little kid hearing an interesting story for the very first time. And eventually I, I got to the very heart of the gospel. And I tried to explain to him the vicarious suffering of Jesus Christ. And, and I told him the fact that Jesus didn't have any sins of his own. But when he died on Calvary, I said, he died for your sin. He died for my sin. And he died for the sins of the whole world. We're all sinners, but Jesus died for us. God commended his love toward us, and while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And uh, he didn't say a word except a one-syllable word, height. Now, if you've ever heard a Japanese speaking, and uh, uh, if, you're, if they're listening to you, when you're talking to them, they'll be nodding their height, height, height. It literally means, go ahead, tell me about it, I understand. I'm listening, okay? By the way, if, you're talking to, if they're talking to you and you're not saying height, they'll stop you and say, are you listening? <laughs> okay. So height is height. Okay, go ahead, I understand. So I told him about the vicarious suffering of Jesus. Then I told him about the burial of Jesus and the significance of the burial. That when he died and was buried, he took our sins away. And again, height, height, height. And then I told him about the resurrection. I said on Sunday morning, they went out to look for the body of Jesus in that tomb. But he wasn't there. He had been resurrected from the grave. By the way, that's beautiful in any language. He had been resurrected from the grave. And when I said that, his eyes bugged out as much as the Japanese eyes can bug out. They don't have very big eyes, okay? I mean, his eyes got glassy, and he looked at me, and he said, Sensei, Sensei, sono hanashiwa, honto Teacher, teacher, are you telling me a real story? And I said, oh, yeah, it's, it's real, Mr. Kitanaka. Not only is it real, but I said that Jesus is right here in our room with us tonight. Now, 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 please hear it, okay? Very unusual story. I've dealt with Japanese for months before they would admit they were a sinner in need of a Savior, okay? But the very first time Mr. Kitanaka heard the gospel, he looked at me with tears in his eyes. He said, teacher, you think you'd save an old man like me? And I said, Mr. Kitanaka, I think you're just the kind of king to die for. That night, I led Mr. Kitanaka in a prayer, and I heard him pray, Dear Lord, you know I'm a sinner, and I deserve to die and go to hell. But according to your Bible and according to this man, Jesus Christ died for my sin. And Lord Jesus, I want you to come in my heart and save me. And I, I looked up that night, Big old tears is running down his old wrinkled cheeks. And you could tell that a big burden had been lifted from his heart. Uh, Teta, 
meet you go. Mrs. Yama Shader, myself, we sang Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Now, none of us could sing, okay? But I believe it's good music in the eyes and ears of God. Heaven was rejoicing. Last time I saw Mr. Kitanaka, we were coming home. My mother had cancer and was, was dying. And uh, I pulled up pretty close to where we were meeting. We had a meeting room that we met in. We didn't have a building for of our own for about seven years out there. So I pulled up to the, uh, close to the building. I got out of my car. As soon as I got out of my car, uh, Mr. Kitanaka saw me. And as soon as he saw me, he was standing out in front of the building we were meeting. Uh, he began to bow. And he bowed to me, and I bowed to him. And we, you know, uh, in, in Japan, you have to be careful. You don't quit bowing too soon. Because if you do, it's very impolite. And so we bowed. But the, the thing about it, you bow a little bit less each time. So we bowed, and by the time we got close to each other, uh, we were upright. He put his hand on my shoulder. I'll never forget him saying, Sensei, Toy America, Toy America, Kodareka. What are you, Sensei? Yuki. Oshete, Kokoregana. Arigato, Rigana. Teacher, you came a long way from America. Just tell me about Jesus. From the depth of my heart, I want to thank you. And I stood there and thought that day, I've got to tell hundreds, maybe thousands of Japanese about Jesus. But if this had been the only one, it would have been worth it all. I hadn't been saved about six weeks, and Brother Ogawa became the interim pastor. About six weeks later, when we were in America, he, he wrote me a letter and said, Brother Sis, the OG son went to heaven the other day, talking about Mr. Kitanaka, the OG son, the old granddad. But he said, I preached the gospel at the funeral. I didn't let them worship the spirits and all those things. And we had a wonderful service and some people got saved. I kept that letter in my Bible. And at that time, I was uh, living up in uh, uh, South Holland, Indiana. And uh, I would, one day I was in the forest preserve near there. I got the letter out and I was reading it. And, and it just caused an ache in my heart. And I, I couldn't help but think. I get back to Japan. Uh, Mr. Kitanaka won't be there. We'd become friends, and he won't be there. But then I got to thinking, I too one day am going to heaven. Amen? And one day I'll be walking the streets of heaven, and, and I'll see a Japanese man coming my way. And as uh, soon as he sees me and I see him, he'll start bowing, and I'll start bowing. And, hey, we may bow for a thousand years. Amen? And when we get close enough, he'll put his hand on my shoulder. And then he'll speak English like all of us there, okay? I'm, I'm not sure it's English, but it's all the same language, okay? And he'll put his hand on my shoulder and he'll say, Teacher, thank you for coming to Japan and tell me about Jesus. But I think he's already told my mother and dad, thank you that your son came to Japan and tell me about Jesus. I think he's already told the people that supported Virginia and me, thank you for sending the missionaries to Japan. I think eventually he and all the other believers will go to every person that's given and prayed and then obedient to God and thank you. You say, Brother Sis, that would take so much time. Huh? We're in heaven. 
We don't even have calendars there, let alone watches. Amen? And there's going to be great joy in heaven. I believe from the depths of my heart. Every missionary you send out, when they win people to the Lord, and when they get to heaven, in heaven, each one of them will thank us for coming or sending somebody to tell them about Jesus. Jesus said, I, I want you to have the kind of joy I have. I always keep my Father's commandments. And he said, I want your joy to be full. The joy of missions. Now again, missions is not something I have to do. Every, every once in a while I meet people and they kind of feel sorry for missions. Oh, I feel sorry for the Cavities. They have to leave America and go to Cong Republic. Congo, uh, Republic of Congo. I feel sorry for Go. He has to go back to Japan. Uh, I feel sorry for Brother Sovich. He has to go back to Hungary. And I always tell people, don't ever pity your missionaries. Don't give them your pity, okay? Now give them your money. They need that, okay? But don't ever feel sorry for anybody that's doing what God wants them to do. And by the way, missionaries, don't lose your joy. Don't lose your joy. Don't, don't get so involved that you forget just to love God and to have the joy of the Lord. Let's pray together, Pastor.